Welcome to View from the C-Suite, where we have candid conversations with female executives about key business challenges, career advice, and more. This series is brought to you by Wong Duty, the Global Experience and Design Unit for Infosys. I'm Skylar Matson, your host and president of Wong Duty. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our global audience. Welcome to the 12th episode of View from the C-Suite, Women Leaders in Conversation. I'm Skylar Matson, president of Wong Duty, the global creative agency for Infosys. Today we're talking about the future of how we work together. It's a hot topic and also a complicated one. Research shows us most employees are happier with some remote work, but we're learning that people are more burnt out than ever. Some companies have seen productivity increase, while others are a little bit challenged by fewer in-person interactions. And while some individuals feel more confident presenting from their comfy home environment, others are struggling to find their voice and make it heard from behind a screen. One thing most people can agree on is that this new hybrid way of working in its various forms is here to stay. And for companies and humans to thrive, we need to be intentional about how we move forward. We can reshape where, when, and how we work we can take a look at what's been challenging the last couple of years and make it better. I personally think we can find a solution that's good for both sales and the soul. Today's conversation won't be a debate about two days versus three days, nor about the basic needs that must be met regarding technology and access. We're gonna tackle things around how to ensure fairness, maximize performance, maintain culture, and lead with inspiration. I have two guests who are passionate about this topic and offer unique perspectives from different parts of the world. My first guest is London-based Rachel McShane, CFO of Digital Wallets from Paysafe, where she supports business growth through transformational and strategic change. Rachel has climbed the corporate ladder, working across a variety of financial products and industry sectors, including 10 years at Barclays, most recently as head of finance for the corporate bank. In addition to being an inspirational leader in fintech, Rachel's a mom of two babies under three, so we know she is busy. It's so great to have you join us, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you very much. Busy and tired, I'd add to that, with two children. <laughs> And you will be for 18 more years, as my mom likes to say. <laughs> I also welcome Andrea Brimmer, the Chief Marketing and PR Officer at Ally Financial, where she's led the brand since 2006. Andrea is widely recognized as an innovative and effective marketing leader. She's been named to the Business Insider list of most innovative CMOs and a winner of Adweek's Brand Genius Award. She's also been named three times to Forbes list of world's most influential CMOs. Amazing, Andrea. I could go on and on. I actually had to cut down so that I could get this, this <laughs> bio in five seconds. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's dive right in. I think it would be helpful to have a quick overview of each of your company's policies. I'll share that at Wong Duty. We are allowing our employees to embrace hybrid work in a way that works best for them and their teams. So we aren't mandating days back, but we are certainly encouraging at least a couple of days in the office together because we, we really still believe in that magic of, of in-person interaction. 
So Andrea, what approach is your team taking and why did you choose this? Yeah, so from an ally overall perspective, um, we we have been given flexibility. So our CEO is basically given flexibility to each member of the executive council to kind of manage their team um, as they see fit and with the level of regularity that he or she feels is necessary to keep the preserve culture, um, but also get workflow and work done. Um, you know, we've asked people at the enterprise level to start coming back post Labor Day with more regularity, and we've seen that. Um, in my org specifically, we're actually telling people um, we're looking at it a little differently. It's not a certain number of days per week. We're saying we'd like 60% of your month to be in the office and 40% of your month to be remote. And if there are certain weeks that you have to be in five days a week, please be in five days a week. If there's another week where you only need to be in two days a week, that's okay. But look at an overall basis and really try and be in about 60% of your time. I like that. Empowering people too, to know this is the week that I need to be here five days versus, okay, this is a week where I'm going to hunker in at home and get a lot of work done. (laughs) And even within that, um, a a day in the office doesn't mean you have to be in at nine and leave at five. You know, that's another piece of the flexibility that we're really trying to be smart around, which is, look, if you get stuff you need to do in the morning, you need to come in at 10 and you need to leave at three. Great. That's a day in the office. Uh, We're not worried about not getting work out of people. I think it's more about just getting the muscle memory back of having some level of regularity back in the office. Yep. Rachel, what's going on at PaySafe? Are there specific guidelines in place? Yes, really similar principles. We've been on a bit of a journey. So I I joined PaySafe in January. um, And when I joined, it was a 2-2-1 approach, which meant uh, two days in the office, two days at home, and one day wherever you want, you you choose. Um, So there was a bit of flexibility there, but they were really trying to retain um, experience locally and in person and therefore wanted to mandate two days in the office minimum a week. Um, It was a bit of a test and learn approach. And and about two months ago, after taking feedback over the last two quarters, we decided to change the policy. So we've moved very much so to what what you guys have just been talking about. Um, So it's no longer mandated at all. It's entirely um, within the kind of leaders and managers to manage within their own business units and teams. So there's absolutely this empowerment theme and this trust theme as well that, you know, we trust you to be able to work through what's the best thing for your, your team and the most effective thing. And, you, and it varies because, you know, PaySafe, like in all organizations, we have so many different roles. We've got developers to, to front office salespeople, to finance people, customer service agents, and, and they all have very different day-to-day experiences and for some in person is hugely valuable, for others not. So yeah, we're, we're leaving it with the teams to determine. And it's had really good feedback. I think people have appreciated the change. And bizarrely, I think what we're seeing is more people in the office. I think they're embracing the fact that they're the decision makers. And they're also coming together more and trying to make the most of those days. So for example, in certain business units, they might have a digital wallet Wednesday, um, which is what we're, we're testing out at the moment where we try and get everyone together. So it really feels like the whole team's in as much as possible. Um, and that's not mandated, but it just means if that if you want to come in that week and if you really want that in-person contact, um, we know there's going to be a buzz in the office. We know it'll be a reflection of the culture 
um, that people used to have pre-working from home um, and it's still maintained and you get a bit of a taster for that when you come in. So similar, similar themes. Um, it's going well, but definitely been on a journey. For all of us. So we're all in situations where we might have people we're working with in the office or sitting around the table with us and then somebody else on the screen. And Andrea, I'm wondering, do you find that it's harder to manage people in a hybrid environment? And you've been doing it for a while, even pre-pandemic. So what are best practices that you've leaned into? Yeah, well, you know, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to define, we've, we're kind of using this phrase heads up and heads down work. And we're really trying to encourage people that if if it's if it's heads down work, you know, you're doing mandatory training all day or you're writing presentations or you're, you know, doing independent work, you know, feel free to to stay home. And those are good days to work remotely. But when it's heads up, you're collaborating, you have business reviews, you have all hands meetings, you've got the agencies coming in and you're you know, reviewing creative or media or those kinds of things, um, you know, we prefer people are in because we think that's where the energy of, a, especially within a marketing and a communications organization comes from being together. And, you know, what we found is that's working fairly well. And, and I think people are, um, it's resonating with people. Of course, you're always going to have those situations where people are on the screen still. And, it is harder to manage people on the screen. It's harder to manage the flow of a meeting when when a lot of the people are not in the room, right? There's just the natural, um, uh, you know, idiosyncrasies of who's talking. I can't see you. Your thumbnail so small, um, you know, of your video screen. Um, you're, you know, especially when you are when everyone else is in the room and you're on the screen, you feel like you can't get a word in or you can't break into the conversation that's happening in the room. So I think we're all trying to get used to the Zoom awkwardness or the Teams awkwardness or whatever form we're using um, and really just trying to be intentional about paying attention to the people that are on the screen making sure that they feel like they're still a, an active and important participant in the meeting um, and, and really making sure that we're just practicing just, I think, good, basic um, manners by trying to pay attention to everybody, regardless of if they're in the room or not in the room. Okay, you are leaning into a really important point, which is about watching the people on your screen and making sure that they're engaged and they're comfortable speaking up. And I just read a statistic that said 45% of women reported it's difficult to speak up in virtual meetings. Um, and 20% felt that they had been ignored or overlooked or talked over during team members and video calls. This statistic is much higher for women than men. And Rachel, have you noticed this? And what are some ways that you can make sure that people who are behind the screen while maybe others are in the room, or even if everybody is on the screen, everybody feels comfortable speaking up and has that, that time and space to do so? Yeah, I think, I mean, this resonates with me massively um, personally, as, as well as kind of what I'm experienced day to day with the teams. And I think it, it stems in part from kind of broader gender challenges that we have um, and kind of preconceptions about women and that we're a bit less authoritative. And actually, when we do lean in to be more authoritative, we're seen as maybe pushy or aggressive. And so this whole dynamic on a, on a team's call where, where you want the space, you want to make your point and you can't quite find it. I think we find ourselves, well, I certainly do sometimes, leaning away from it 
um, and you know questioning when's the right time and by the time I get to it it may be less relevant so you don't make the point anyway and it's a real challenge um, and I think that I mean there's many ways in which I've been trying to overcome those barriers but also trying to help others in the room so you know, things as simple as like positive interjections around, that's a great point. Can you elaborate on it? Or picking up where someone's made a small point and it's got lost. So going back to it, you've got to play the role a bit as a facilitator, I think, to help um, bring people into the room and help engage them a little bit further so they have the confidence to come back and, and elaborate on their points. I think you miss those kind of natural cues that you have in person, like the eye contact. We just touched on it. And you know, the, the physical presence in a room, body language, and when you can lean in, when there's a space, even a breath. And without that, you, you need to help people. You need to give them cues. And so, you know, putting structure around your meetings, giving proper agendas and saying, this is your space to talk and shine and put your points forward. Um, but also to some of the earlier points, like calling out bad behaviors. So be brave around it. And where certainly I find when I when I see it happening, I'll call it out and say, can we just go back to this point? Let's finish. Then we'll come back to you. So it's still positive. But, you know, you're making the point that everyone needs to be heard in the room um, and also just recognize from the outset what's the diversity around the table. If there's anyone in a minority position, they're naturally going to feel a little bit less comfortable or a little bit more exposed. So as a leader or a facilitator of the meeting, recognize it, be conscious of it as you're going through the session um, and support them, bring them into the conversation. You've got to be proactive and, and much more conscious than you would in a physical environment. So it takes a bit more effort, but I think it's it's a really important piece, particularly for, for women that I think are more exposed to this type of um, activity and behavior. I agree. I think that's a really helpful reminder as leaders. Sometimes you're really focused on the agenda and what you need to get through, but to also play that role of, I loved it, positive interjections and sort of facilitator to help people elaborate and get into the conversation if they're having a hard time finding that pause where they can do so. You know, I think yeah. one of the other things that feels a little more challenging is like how to inspire people. I'm in I'm an in-person person. I'm like I'm looking out my office door at nobody really here yet because it's quite early in LA. But you know, I want to walk around and check on people and you know, kind of peek over their yeah. shoulder or overhear something. And when you're so structured behind a screen, you don't have those opportunities. And you know, Andrea, what are some ways that you've been able to lead and inspire in a remote setting? Have you had to adjust your own leadership style? to do things more remotely? Yeah, definitely. I think we've been, we've tried to be more intentional or, you know, I, I've been tried to be more intentional and I think all of my leaders have about just the nuances of when to be on camera, when to be off camera. That's another big piece of it. Um, and, and, you know, um, I think that the, the notion of um, trying to inspire people remotely is really, really hard. And so oftentimes what we've done is just held meetings, especially at the onset of the pandemic, but kind of a best practice we've tried to carry forward is um, just get people together just to talk and 
have a catch up. Um, so not necessarily a meeting, but a catch up. So people feel still connected to one another or, um, you know, we've done fun things like we've actually, we had a professional chef come in and do a cooking class. We've done ex, you know, like group exercise classes and those kinds of things, um, on camera so that, you still try and have the connective tissue where you can't have the physical presence with everybody and still trying to maintain some of the things that make the culture special. And then I think some of the things that we've done is we've really tried to mandate like when you really have to be present. I, I do think the hardest thing as a leader is all the number of people that are off camera. And, and I think about, um, you know, myself coming up and, and, you know, getting to um, the position that I'm in today, just the power that there was in being physically present with people at levels that were above me so I could soak and learn from them. And the disadvantage when you're not, when you're not there physically and you're off camera and you can't even see the nuances of the body language, the discussion, the energy, the passion. So you're not picking up cues. You learn a lot of leadership skills just by being a sponge in meetings. And it's really tough when, when people are off camera. So there've been certain, there's certain meetings where we mandate, if you're going to be in the meeting, you need to be on camera, all hands, business reviews, things like that, so that you have the power of just seeing the interaction that's happening in the room. All really excellent points. As you were talking, I was thinking, I miss those meetings between the meetings where you're just walking down the hall and like an idea is sparked and setting up calls that maybe don't have an agenda and you can just quickly, you know, regroup as a team are sometimes nice, but then there's, you know, the zoom fatigue. So you have to be mindful. You have to be mindful of everything. Um, You brought up some good points in there around learning from leaders by seeing them around the room. I certainly did that in my career, watching people present, taking notes on the things that they did that I would love to learn how to do. I, I'd like to pivot the conversation a little bit and and think about sort of those more moments of, of people mid-career where they're maybe looking for a mentor or being in office is going to help them advance their career because they're there when new projects are being kicked off. Rachel, how do you think people can find mentors in a virtual world? Because that's something that seems to come so much more naturally when you're in person. Yeah, I mean, this is a massive chart. It was one of the biggest reasons, actually, that um, when we were talking about the change at PaySafe, why we moved to, to remove this mandated piece and made it a lot more flexible, um, and because we were just really conscious of, you know, if I reflect on my own career, I can't think of a, a move that wasn't somehow influenced by a colleague or a mentor or a sponsor at the latter end of my career. And it's been such a pivotal part of my progression. Um, and you were very, very conscious that people are certainly at certain levels of their career just missing out on that. They're not having that natural exposure or the you know, the coffee chats or I walk past your office and introduce myself. And that takes a lot um, of confidence for someone at the early stage of their career. But, you know, to contact them by email, it feels a lot more formal and it's, it's a little bit of a barrier. And um, so we we have been thinking about it internally and I've been thinking about it with my team. But I mean, the biggest part for me is around like proactivity. And this is regardless of whether it's virtual or, or in person you know, it's forming those relationships and having the confidence to reach out and approach someone and say, you know, I'd love to have a chat with you. And, and 
informal or formal otherwise you know that you know whether it's a mentor or a sponsor they they play in my mind different roles but to start that relationship you've got to have that initial interaction so you know just lean in go and reach out to people and I think you'll find actually in this environment that people are very open to it and they want to help and they're missing that interaction and it's actually the part of the day that I love when I'm having these informal sessions rather than the day-to-day grind yeah so be proactive and um, try and use the time that you do have in person in the most efficient way. We've talked about it quite a bit, but when you're in the office, make sure that your diary is focused on like people and engagement, whether that's, you know, your own teams or meeting someone new or reaching out to someone that you, you want to have a mentoring relationship with. Let's really think about how you use that um, in-person environment in the best way possible. Um, there's obviously programs, structured programs like mentoring programs. So as, a, as an exco in the digital wallet space, we're very conscious of this and so that we're proactively allocating people mentors and trying to match them with people that fill some of the, the gaps that we think they have or to help to bridge some of the, ba- the boundaries they have in where they want to make their next career move. So, you know, being proactive as a leader, I think, helps a lot um, and leaning into that space. And there are also external programs that you can lean on if, if you do some research. And I've done that before. It's been quite good, actually, to have an independent perspective, someone that's not vested in the company or has a different industry perspective and, and leveraging that. But, yeah, I, I really think it is about, you know, leaning in, building those relationships, reaching out and, and making the most of the time you have in person. It's really fundamental and you'll be surprised at how many doors they open for you down, down the line. I think that is great advice for our audience who's maybe mid-career looking for a mentor. Lean in, ask. I am delighted if somebody reaches out to me out of the blue to ask me for a question or advice on something. It, It truly makes my day. And I think earlier in my career, I was really timid about that sort of thing. Oh, they're so busy. Oh, I don't want to ask them. But I think it shows great initiative. I think it shows great ambition. And I really encourage people to do that. And the other thing I'd say is like, make the most of those relationships. Often they can kind of peter away. And especially if you're not in the office, naturally saying, oh, we need to catch up again. Like there's a reminder you've got to be a little bit more structured around it and you've got to, you know, be a bit more organized because the more you have those chats, the better the relationship will will build and also the more opportunities I'm sure you'll get out of it. So you do have to put a little bit more effort in, I think, in this spiritual world. That's true. Ask for the time and come prepared. <laughs> yeah, use the time. Yeah, exactly. I think about culture a lot. I think one of the things that makes Wong Duty special is our culture. And I've been here for 20 years. So most of the years coming into the office every day. And I mean, culture isn't music playing and dogs running around and like kombucha on tap. It's much more than that. But those things sort of help move it along. And I have found myself thinking so much lately about how you build a culture in a remote environment. Like how do, what are the things that you do and how do you influence the way you behave with one another when it's mostly remote? And Andrea, do you have any insight on that? Like, what are some of the things that you've been doing to maintain culture with people in different offices? Yeah, you know, interestingly, during the pandemic, um, we hired um, on my team about 120 people. So the size of the team nearly doubled in the last two and a half years. 
And it really struck myself and my leadership team that, you know, basically 50% of the groups never step foot in an ally building. They don't know us. They don't know of us. They don't know the culture. They'll never really get to understand the secret sauce of the culture if they aren't physically in and they're not around people. So I would say, first and foremost, I think it's really, really, really hard to build culture without physical proximity. Um, I, I would venture to say nearly impossible. Um, you know, for us, I think that's why we've been so focused on getting people back with some level of regularity. As soon as the restrictions were lifted um, here relative to return to office, I mean, the very first thing that we did was have an offsite with the entire marketing and PR organization um, in Charlotte and flew everybody from Detroit in and got everybody together for two days, um, you know, did some fun things like speed networking um, to get to know each other, um, you know, dinners in the evening and just with lots of, you know, strolling stations and ability to not have people sitting at tables so that they had the opportunity to speak with one another. And that was a really good thing to just kickstart, you know, conversation and get people on the team to be together. Um, you know, I think if you're in a fully remote environment, trying to do things like how many fun activities you can kind of come up with. The cooking thing that we did was a blast. Like I said, we did, you know, we've done some some group exercise things. But I just don't think in all earnest that you can replace the specialness of being together in terms of understanding culture with, you know, Zoom or um, Teams gimmicks, <laughs> which some of those things were. And I think that's probably why you've heard so many CEOs say we want people back with some level of regularity. And it's not just because, you know, we're we're old or rigid in our thinking. Um, you've seen even a lot in Silicon Valley, which a lot of younger companies have initially said we're going to fully remote, have reversed their positions on this because there's this stark realization that culture is built by proximity. And I just still think that proximity is the best way to extend the, you know, what the culture is all about. I agree. And, you know, I think we trust people that they can get their job done from home. Right. They're going to have a little more fun if they come into the office. Like for me, my most gratifying days are when I've had those moments to interact in real life. And, you know, for people who it's been hard, I mean, certainly putting safety aside, once it was safe to come back for people who it's been hard to get out of that at home routine, once they've come into the office, they've been like, oh my gosh, I forgot how great it was and how much fun it was and how distracting it can be. But in general, how wonderful feeling the energy of your coworkers around you um, can be. And so I, I agree that we yeah. need some of that too. It's never been about not us not trusting people to work. We know that people did and we had high levels of productivity. It's really been more about the camaraderie of togetherness and and the power that comes in that and the informality of, like you said, those water cooler conversations popping into somebody's office. Um, and, and I think one of the things that I've noticed I've changed from a leadership style standpoint is just when we are uh, when people are home, picking up the phone more. And as opposed to always shooting an email or shooting a text, 
really just picking up the phone and saying, can I catch you for five minutes and trying to replicate some of the informal interaction that that happens physically through just, you know, the old fashioned picking up the phone and calling somebody on the spur of the moment or maybe FaceTiming somebody or sending a video, um, you know, or just little things like that where there is at least a, a more in-depth level of personal connection than an email or a text message. Yeah, I found myself doing that a little more, mostly just out of impatience. I don't want to write the email. I just want to ask somebody something real quick. And my <laughs> team knows I just, you know, I hit a Teams and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I called you out of the blue. Everything's okay. Are you okay with this? But I just wanted to ask you something real quick. And I'm finding that people are okay with it. And so I'm becoming more comfortable just making those, those calls on the fly. I think that's a really good reminder. Before we go to audience Q&A, I do like to ask a little bit of career advice from you. And Rachel, I'm wondering what advice you would give to a woman who had to be 100% remote while she maybe had team members who were in person. How does she get her career ahead? How does she sort of stay you know, front of mind for important career milestones? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to a lot of what we were touching on earlier around you've got to take your destiny in your own hands and you've got to be proactive around it. And you do have to work a little bit harder in this environment because of all the reasons we've talked about when it's virtual. And so you reach out, lean in, be really proactive about your own career management. Like I often, and this is even pre-pandemic and, and holds for post as well, I really try and hold people to account on how the role that they play in influencing my career so whether that's my boss or a mentor or a sponsor, you know, really pin them down on what you want from the relationship and, and try and see that through, particularly in the kind of sponsorship side of things, because they can have such an influential role. And um, so, yeah, be proactive, reach out to people, take risks um, would be the other one. And, and again, probably holds in, you know, virtual and in-person environments. But the biggest um, opportunities that have, have come to me and have I've reflected on and have been the best for my career have been the ones that I felt most uncomfortable about. So I remember at the time deciding on them, it was, I was so unsure. I had this sick feeling, am I going to be able to do it? Is it too big a stretch? And I think in a virtual environment, all of those reservations are almost compounded because you're, you're kind of by yourself at home mulling over it all. And so I think, you know, take the risks and um, push yourself out of your comfort zones. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure you'll see the benefits later. I mean, on the flip side of that, after having two children in a very short space of time and then juggling that, I would say, you know, it's also okay to say no. There are a few things that kind of fell on my lap at times when I was trying to have children, going through fertility treatment, having children, got pregnant again, surprisingly, and all of this stuff happened. And things were moving in my career. And I actually just had to take a step back and say, Do you know what, now's not the right time. Um, and I'm going to say no, and I'm going to feel okay about that. Because what's happening in my life is, is way more important than what's happening in my career. And so just finding the right balance and the right way, when's the right time for you to lean in? Um, and when does career come first? And when does life come first? And you'll go through ups and downs with it. Um, as I've, I have done. Um, so yeah, they would be the main things. And last but not least, um, let it go. Like, don't sweat the small stuff. I've said this a few times before to people. And, you know, but there's so much going on, so much to worry about in life and in your career. Try and 
move on from the things that aren't important, focus on the things that matter to you. Um, and, and I think you'll benefit a lot from it. You know, I'm singing the Frozen song. I know, Elsa <laughs> Queen, right? <laughs> it will be stuck in my head all day. You know, I appreciate you sharing that advice. I personally, and I know many women who are, are watching mid-career, I thought you just had to like, go, 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 push, push, push. Like there wasn't a moment for a pause or a sabbatical or to travel or to even take a risk. I've been here 20 years, right? I'm, I'm staying the course. Um, but this is my 12th episode. So I've interviewed close to 24 women in the C-suite and many have talked about a pause or a pivot or an unexpected turn and their careers have thrived because of it. And so it's easy from where we're sitting to say, you know, take the risk and go for it. It's scarier when you're, you know, starting out in your career, midway through your career. But um, I'm learning through these interviews that risks can often lead to really great rewards. Yeah, definitely. 100%. And it feels uncomfortable. Um, and I think it's a bit of a mindset piece, particularly for women about being okay with uncertainty and just going for it. You know, don't, don't wait for the job that's going to be a slam dunk that you think, oh, yeah, I can do that 100%. Um, it's okay to go into things thinking I'll need to learn. It'll be a stretch. I don't know that yet. I certainly came into this job feeling like that. And it's been amazing. I've loved it so much. It's just been such a challenge and, and a, an adventure from day one. So, yeah, lean in and enjoy the risk. Enjoy the risk. Andrea, what do you know now that you wish you knew? mid-career, starting out in your 30s? Um, I, I think the biggest thing that I know now is that life is really sloppy and that you need to embrace the slop. A lot of the good stuff happens in the gray, um, not in the black and white. And I think it's building on what, what Rachel was saying. You know, I, I was a single mom for 13 years. Um, I had two two little ones at home. My career was, you know, accelerating and I had to make a lot of choices. There were times where um, I, you know, my, my perfect little plan that I had when I got out of college and got married to my high school sweetheart and had the kids of how everything was going to be perfect got disrupted. And um, I realized in that moment that life is very sloppy and that there were certain times where I had to be a really good mom. There were certain times where I had to be a really good worker and there were certain times that I had to be really good to myself and I couldn't do all of them always at the same time. And um, that that was OK. That's where the you know, that's where the sloppiness came in. And I had to give myself grace and I had to give myself permission to not be perfect at everything. And um, I also had to. Um, help myself by having a great support network around me. And whether that meant finding an awesome nanny or a cleaning lady or a trainer that came into the house or whatever thing I needed to like get me through, it was okay to do it. And so, um, you know, I, I was more uptight about that when I was younger. I thought everybody expected perfection and that there was this mythical balance that we all try and find. There's no such thing as balance. Um, there really isn't. It's really more about um, doing what you need to do in the moment or in the day and, you know, give yourself that grace. So as I've 
accepted that as I've gotten older and wiser, it's really taken a lot of pressure off of me in every facet of my life. You know, there's nights where I'm just like, I'm not cooking tonight. I'm too tired. If my husband's hungry and he needs something, he can pick up a pizza on the way home. <laughs> you know, we're in my younger days. So I was like, I got to get home. I got to cook. It's got to be perfect. I just don't do that anymore. A beautiful reminder. Give yourself grace and have your husband pick up the pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Words of wisdom on view from the C-suite people. (laughs) I think that, you know, the notion of work-life balance is always so tricky. I've I've had colleagues say, you know, how do you do it? And you never, it's never an even scale, but I always tell people, don't worry, you'll know when your family needs you more. You'll know when you need to spend time on your own health. You'll know when work is like, you're going to buckle down on this one project. Like you'll know, you're not going to be able to equally give it all to all of the things that need you and give to yourself. Uh, but you'll know, you'll know yeah. when, when that balance comes in. There's a great question that just popped in from Amanda Weibel. Thank you, Amanda. Um, she asks, uh, she says, this is a really wonderful conversation. Thank you. So I'll share that. Um, I'd love to hear about what makes your hybrid work daily routine function well. What moments are crucial for you personally? And are there any activities you've implemented with your teams? Who wants to jump in on that? You can both answer it. I think it's an interesting angle. Sure. Um, go ahead, Andrea. No, go for it, Rachel, and I'll jump in. Yeah, I mean, my mornings are absolute chaos, you can imagine, with uh, two under three. So that is quite a pivotal part of my day. And um, me and my, my husband spend a lot of time thinking about how do we work out the mornings and, you know, get when the kids were, especially when the kids were at home, but even just like getting them to nursery, getting ourselves ready for the day, all of that stuff. So getting structure around that from a personal perspective has helped me a lot. You talked about getting help and we've gone through a journey around recognizing that we need help at certain times as well. Um, and that's been that's been good. Um, I think from a team perspective, I, I'm flexible. So if we're having, for example, a week, like we are at the minute where we're landing our budgets and we've got really important strategic commercial conversations happening and every day things are moving and um, we put in tactical conversations so a 15 minute call at the beginning every day just so we can jump on a call and have to say what's going on what are the live things we need to deal with and I think it just gives everyone comfort that they're not feeling isolated and at home and thinking I don't know what to do next I've got this thousand things to do and how do I prioritize it so just helping the team have a little bit of structure and, and leaning in a bit there I think has been good um, and just that contact like that regular contact with people makes a big difference don't lose sight of it it's really easy for your diary to just get back to back and the one-to-ones start falling out and the personal conversations start falling out so you know block that time dedicate that time for people yeah I mean that's all great I th- from from my standpoint uh, you know just to build on that I think the only other thing that I, a couple other things I'd add is I've added new routines where so instead of my commute time Um, you know, I use that time for just quiet time to get through emails, do my reading. You know, I I find myself when I'm home actually getting up earlier and going downstairs before the chaos of the day starts and getting my coffee. And, you know, like I said, whether it's reading the trades, reading things that are of interest to prepare myself, um, you know, that's been one one big thing that I've, I've really tried to do. Um, I think the other thing that I've really tried to do is be more mindful of when I'm when I'm pinging my people, um, realizing like 
to that point of no blurring between work and home, I think we got in a bad habit that, you know, when we were all home, nobody thought anything of calling somebody at eight o'clock at night and saying, hey, what's going on with this? Like we lost all sense of business decorum. (laughs) And so because we were home all the time. And I think for a lot of us, we were like, I'm bored. I don't even mind if you call me at eight o'clock. But now that we're in this hybrid, it's not okay to do those things anymore. And so we've really tried to be intentional as a leadership team to even set our settings so that if I write an email at six o'clock in the morning, it doesn't send till 830 because I don't want that person, you know, that it's going to to feel like if they're up and they're getting ready for work, then they got to answer it because they see it came in from me. Right. Um, so just being really intentional about trying to return to some level of business decorum because we're not all working the, the same hybrid schedule. So you have to be super cognizant of that. I think that's really helpful. I try to remind myself to not send emails out of hours or or say, please respond at another time. Um, We had a woman from Visa, uh, Andrea Fairchild, on um, a couple of episodes ago. And Visa is a global company. And so in their signatures, they say, um, I am working Eastern Standard Time. But I understand as a global team, you can respond within your own time zone. Like just some nice little bullet that represents the corporate culture and lets people know it's okay to sleep. Just one of those, yeah. <laughs> one of those basic things. Another question. So uh, Rachel, you talked a little bit about risk and reward, and this question is for Andrea. Was there ever a risk you took in your career that paid off or a risk that you took that maybe you felt was a misstep? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you the one that paid off was the one that led me here to to Ally, actually, I, I spent 20 years on the um, agency side. Um, never really thought I would go to the brand side, and the opportunity to can't to come here came up, and it required me to take um, a pay cut, a pretty sizable pay cut, as well as a step back in terms of um, of title, and. Um, I did it. I took a big leap and it was a, it was scary because it was literally right when I was going um, through my divorce. And, and um, you know, so all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to have half my income and I'm going to take a pay cut on top of that because I'm, you know, I'm moving to a new role. Um, and it was a big risk, but I felt like the opportunity was so great. When would I never, when would I ever get an opportunity to be part of creating a brand and standing up a brand and learning what I was able to learn? And I didn't come over as the CMO. I came over as a brand executive was my title. I reported into the CMO and was, was kind of layered, actually layered down two layers below. Um, and it turned out to be the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I just, especially for the younger women that are listening to this, um, there's so much hesitancy now to take lateral moves or everybody feels like they have to be promoted every two years or you're not on the right track. That's not true. It's just not. And there's so much power in taking lateral moves or learning something that you didn't know before or doing something just because it feels right in your gut. Um, you know, those are risks that are just so worth taking. Sometimes they're going to turn out and sometimes they don't. But you also have to remind yourself, you know what, you're highly employable. So if something doesn't work out, you'll figure something else out. And, you know, lead from the front. Don't lead from a position of fear. 
Fantastic. Rachel, what made you leave Barclays after 10 years? Speaking of making that change. Yeah, well, it's interesting that lead on from that conversation because I was going through some um, decisions at Barclays as well, where there was there was options to move into um, roles that were a step up, but they were from my perspective, not the roles that were going to interest me or excite me. It wasn't the, the core of what I love in finance, which is the commercial business partnering, like that proximity to the business. Um, and it was moving much more down a functional route. So even further away from the bit that I loved. And I just stopped to see the flight path there. And I also thought about, you know, it's not a short term view you need to have. And it. it's a what's the second and third role that this leads on to in the future and to move into fintech was an exciting opportunity um, to go and be a CFO of a business that was um, having a challenging time and going through a turnaround period, which was the risk, but was also something that would be a huge adventure for me in a stretch. Um, and, you know, taking a leap away from Barclays, I think because I'd, I'd been there for 10 years, there was also a lot of baggage that I'd carried with me about, you know, how I moved up from the organization and Sometimes I still thought of myself as that analyst that came in 10 years ago. And it's been amazing to jump into something different and not reinvent yourself, but just feel like you come into a role with no preconceptions and, you know, you're coming in as this person to do this job. And it's given me a, a huge amount of confidence, actually, in a kind of a di totally different perspective. Um, it's so refreshing, um, but it was terrifying. Honestly, it was it's the biggest, scariest move I've ever made. Um, but so far, 100% no regrets. Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. Awesome. We are at time. I could continue talking to you for hours longer. And I'm sorry to the audience for the questions I didn't get to. Thank you both so much. I mean, I'm walking away with take risks, lean in, but also give yourself permission to make mistakes and to ask for help, to give yourself grace. I mean, these are such wise words from two amazing leaders. I'm so grateful to you, Rachel and Andrea, for joining me. Thank you so much to our wonderful audience um, for joining, for sharing your questions. Um, I look forward to seeing you all again next month when the conversation continues. And that's a wrap on episode 12 of View from the C-Suite. Thank you all. To find out more about Wong Duty's work transforming businesses through human experience, go to wongduty.com. If you're a woman in the C-Suite and would like to be a guest on this show, please reach out to me at womenleaders at wongduty.com.